part is. But that's the way the ostrich is. She looks like a bird, but her wings are useless. And she's being compared in this series of verses to a mom. A lot of young girls grow up and they want to look like a mom. They want to get a baby and they want to appear to be a mother. But there's much more to being a mother than just having a baby. Verse 14. She leaves her eggs on the ground and warms them in the dust. She has eggs and lays them on top of the ground, literally on the sand, and then she walks away from them. They're to be warmed by something else besides her. It's a picture of the young mother who, who can't wait but to get clear of her children. I'm sure you know that mom who longs for somebody else to take her children. It's all she thinks about. And anybody will do. Any other mom, any other grandparent, any other person, if you're willing to take their children, she would gladly let you take them and be in some sort of glee when she does. Verse 15, she forgets that a foot may crush them or that a wild beast may break them. He uses the word forget as if it's not in her mind to even understand the danger that her young are in. She leaves them laying there on the ground, and it says that they can be crushed by somebody stepping on them or broken by a wild beast. In other words, there's danger everywhere, but this kind of mother does not see it. She, she doesn't even remember that there's danger for her children. It's almost as if she's aloof to the dangers in their life. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, give us a picture of this kind of thing when it talks about the end times. It says, know this, in last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money, proud, unthankful, unholy, unloving. It's that kind of picture of a mom. Verse 16, she treats her young harshly as though they were not hers. She treats them harshly. It means to forsake them. It, it means that she's hard-hearted towards them. The little word means to be without feeling. She has a relationship with her children, but there's not a lot of feeling there. She treats them as if, look what it says, as if they were not hers. As if they do not belong to her. Or maybe you could say as if she wished they did not belong to her. And then the end of verse 16, she labors in vain without concern. It's talking about her other work. She has much other labor. It doesn't mean that she's not a hard worker. She's just not a hard worker for her children. She labors for other things without concern for her children. The lie that many mothers will try to say is that this is for my children, yet many times it is not. Our children want us, not our stuff. She works so hard saying this to herself and to everyone else. It is for my children, but the Bible says her labor is vanity. It is useless. So all of her work is in vain. Verse 17, because God deprived her of wisdom and did not endow her with understanding. Why is this woman acting this way? For God's sake, why is that mother acting that way, you might say? Because God deprived her. 
God, it says here, kept her from something. He kept her from having two things that she needed desperately. She needed wisdom and she needed understanding. Many scholars think that this is a comparison here to the animals because even an animal cares for their young. Even a wild beast cares for their young. But this mother who lacks wisdom and understanding from God does not know how to take care of her own children. I often at the end of the service ask you to join me in a prayer. I would ask you to make this your prayer along with me. May our church be full of mothers who have wisdom and understanding from God so that they can influence greatly mothers who don't. Would you pray that with me? And then the last verse, in verse 18, when she lifts herself on high, she scorns the horse and its rider. It is a comparison here in which she takes pride. It, it, it means that she lifts herself on high. She, she looks at herself with great pride and great joy. She says, look at me. Look how successful I am. And she mocks the horse and the horse's rider. The reason why is because she's faster. She can run faster than a horse. The fastest horse known to run is, is around 45 miles per hour. Uh, an ostrich can run up to 70 miles per hour. Think about that. Almost double the speed of a horse. And an ostrich can run that fast for 30 miles without stopping. Think of that. And so she's proud of her accomplishments. She's proud of how fast she is, and she mocks the horse and the rider, and she takes pride in this one thing, her speed, but who else cares about it? <laughs> really? Who else is desiring, anybody here desiring, I know some of the kids might be, but desiring to ride an ostrich? Can you ride an ostrich into battle like a horse? He goes on in the following verses to praise the horse for its power in battle, how it's fearless. Who cares that an ostrich is really fast and can run fast like that? Nobody cares. It doesn't even matter. It says, look at verse 18, she lifts herself on high. Think of the, the statement that's being made here. She lifts herself up by this facade of her speed, but what a bird is supposed to do is be able to lift themselves up with their wings. And she's not good at that. She's not good at that, so she finds something else to lift herself up with, and she makes her identity this thing about speed. Look how fast I am. Look how quick I can run. And she should be lifting herself up with her wings. It's the same as a mom who is not being a good mother, but she finds many other things to take pride in besides being a mother. Wow, John, that's a harsh Mother's Day message. <laughs> I know. Let's try to apply it. Number one, work most diligently to give your children you, not stuff. Notice how many times it said in this passage, she leaves them, she forgets them, she labors in vain. <coughs> Your children need you more than anything else in this world. Do you believe that? Don't feel good if you have bought them something. Feel good if you have spent some time with them. 
feel good if you've had a real conversation with them. I've said this so many times over the years, but an overindulged child is an unhappy child and an unhappy adult. If you give them too much now and you overindulge them now, what you're creating is ingratitude in their heart. They will not be grateful for the things they have. They will not take care of the things they have. But more than that, you create an expectation for you to give them more and more. And someday when you don't give them what they want, they will despise you for it and even hate you for it. I know families today who have children the same age as our children who are most angry and <coughs> hatred for their parents because of things like their parents won't pay their bills or their parents won't buy them a house. This is a side note, I didn't have this in my notes, but there's things we didn't ever buy for our children. We never bought them a cell phone, never paid for a cell phone, never bought them a car, don't plan on buying them a car, and didn't pay for their education, and we're not planning on buying them a house, and we're not planning on paying their bills. And what I just said a generation ago was common sense. But in today's society, to say what I say said then is appalling to some people. And they would think I'm very mean and unloving. Number two, application. Men, what if you're married to a woman who is a great mother to your children? I'll give you several points here. First of all, protect her from being the bad guy. If you're married to a great woman and you know it, then in your home, men, you must be her protector. You must protect her from becoming the bad guy in the home. There are two biblical responsibilities that the Bible is clear fall on the men. It's number one, you're, you're, you're biblically responsible for the spiritual condition of your family. That means Bible reading, prayer, things in your home that are spiritual in nature. Men, the Bible repeatedly calls you and the second thing the Bible repeatedly calls you to do is be the chief discipline, disciplinarian. I know that moms have to give discipline and they have to do some disciplining, but there's some discipline that needs to wait for daddy gets home. And it, it is an effort to protect your wife that she not be the bad guy. And in this day when our, our many of your wives are uh, not only the mother but the teacher and the disciplinarian, and on and on we can go, I, could, I had a whole list of all these things. It's easy for the, the dad to love being the good guy. The guy who comes in with the food, or the guy who comes in with the dessert, or the guy who comes home with the good news, or whatever the case may be. And so men must pay attention to the, the dynamics of your home and see when it is starting to happen that daddy's always happy, good, bringing good things, and mom's always disciplining and saying no and saying we can't do that. If that's happening in your home, men, the, the, the bearing of the problem of that is on your shoulders. You've got to, I can't tell you how many conversations C and I had over the years about this very thing. How do we, how do, we do this where she's not the bad guy and I'm, I'm always the, the good guy? We have to, we have to be responsible for some things that fall upon us as men. Number two, lead the family in praising her. <coughs> lead the family in praising her. Not just you praise her, but the whole family praises her. It says this in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 28. 
Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. And so it's like it sets this example of the men praising the wife, and then the children follow. The man saying how great his wife is, and then the children follow. Children must know that there's no greater discipline that would ever come to them than to dishonor their mother. Children must know that there's no greater discipline that would ever come upon them than to disrespect their mother. Children must know not only the negative side of that, but the positive side. There's no, there's no greater person in their home than mother. We lift her up and we praise her. And it starts with the man, with the father. Men, don't expect your children to praise and then you join in. You praise and then ask them to join in. You praise and then ask them to come alongside of you and declare the greatness of all that has happened recently in your house. By pointing out the things that she does. Men first must notice the things that they do and then point it out to the children around you. I sometimes jokingly say to my wife, sit down, you're, you're making me tired watching you do all this stuff. But it's somewhat serious. She does do so much. You say, why are you preaching a message like this on Mother's Day? Maybe it's because my wife was sick for a year and I got a little bit of a taste of what it was like. Oh my goodness. If somebody asked me years from now, what's the hardest thing that you went through when you went through cancer with your wife? I would easily respond, I had to be the mom. <laughs> and I almost died. I sometimes envied her. It would be much easier to be the one carrying the cancer. They're doing all this stuff. Good Lord, what? What? How? What? <laughs> I, I even had to learn where everything was. <laughs> That's, I found a little secret to that. If you're the one who always puts it away, you're the one who always knows where it is. <laughs> secret to that one. Proverbs 31, verse 21. Her child, her children, and her husband rise up and call, call her blessed. Also, praise her in the streets, Proverbs 31, 31. That means everywhere. In the streets is publicly. Praise her publicly. Men, do you ever do that? Do you ever praise your wife publicly? Do you ever tell other men how great your wife is? Do you ever tell your co-workers how great your wife is? That's what that proverb means. Praise her everywhere, even in the streets. Praise her. You know that you are praised, men, for from your good wife being your wife. Did you know that? Men get praise from having a good wife. Proverbs 31, verse 23 says, You are known in the streets, men, when you sit among the elders. So when you go out into the town and you sit among other men, is what it's talking about, you are known as a good man with honor for this reason. Because you have a good wife. Think about this. Men get other recognition from men because your wife is great. Ladies, did you know that? We, we are aware of other men who have good wives. And so the greatness of your wife brings respect to you, men, from other men. Isn't that amazing? As we get older men, we'll realize more and more that we get respect from other men more from our good wife than any other thing in the world. More than the money you make, more than the job you have, more than the career you have. 
You will get res legitimate respect from other men because they know you have a great wife. That's true. You, you don't believe me? What about the man who's got the wacko wife? Right? He's not getting respect from his bros, is he? he he's looked down on him. It also says that her value is far above jewels, Proverbs 31, 10, and 11. It literally uses the word rubies. She is a precious jewel. It says in the next verse, your heart safely trusts in her so that you have no need of riches. Man, if you have a good or a great wife who's a great mother and your heart can trust in her, the Bible says then you have no need of riches. What is it saying there? It's saying that she is your greatest treasure. It's not saying you don't need money. It says she's more valuable than money. There is nothing more valuable in your life than that woman. Great place to get some brownie points there, guys, and say amen. Just, just, just a great, I'm just trying to help you here. Number three in application. What if your mom was an ostrich-type mother? then you can be the generational change. God can make you different than she was. God does things in you that is supernatural. And you can be a mother that you never had because you know Jesus and God is in your life. Number four, keep going, Mom. You can't measure your work. And so that's why being a mother is so hard. It's why uh, I like to mow the grass. Because you can look at the yard when you get done and you can see what you've done. I've mowed the grass. It looks great. There's nothing more exhausting than feeling that the way you're living your life is meaningless. The most exhausting labor you can do is labor that you feel like is not a accomplishing anything. Is that true? So being a mother matters. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't quit. I'll give you an example of this by comparing it to God. God's work is at times incomprehensible. In other words, sometimes you cannot see what God is doing. Can you? Yet God is not sleeping or slumbering, the Bible says. He does not sit and do nothing, the Bible says. He is always moving, always able to see, always doing something, orchestrating something, yet his work is incomprehensible. You many times can't measure it, can't point it out, can't write it down, and can't say exactly what he's accomplished. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 16 and 17 when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on the earth, even though one sees no sleep day or night, then I saw the work of God, that no man can find out the work that is done under the sun. For even if a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it out. In other words, God is doing so much under the sun, you can't even figure out what all he's doing. But do not be deceived. He is doing lots. Amen? 
even in our country and all that we're going through now, God is working. You may be seeing the evidence from the news or from some situation that's going on. You might say, where's God? I'm going to tell you, God's not sleeping. God's not slumbering. God is working. But right now, on the outside, we can't always see it, nor can we always measure it, nor can we always attempt to write it down and say, this is what God did today. But there's coming a day when we'll see the glory of the Lord when we see His incomprehensible work, and we'll say, wow, God, I didn't know you were doing all that. A mom's work is very similar in this, that she is doing things, so many things, so much time is spent doing so many things, and the effect of them are incomprehensible. A mom's work is the only job that no one can feel but you. You are your child's only mom. Your earthly job can be filled and will be filled by another at any time. But motherhood is the only job that you cannot skip for a few years and never make it up. Those years are over and your child will never live that year again. Endurance is the key. For mothers, as you celebrate Mother's Day, endurance is the key. Faithfulness is the key. Keep going. Keep going. Keep being mom. Please, all the men agree with me. Keep being mom. You're needed. You're necessary. Your accomplishments cannot be measured and many times cannot be written down and they cannot be summed up in a Mother's Day card. Not one big enough. But keep going. The value is without price for what you're doing as a mother. You're literally shaping the generation to come. Be faithful. The Bible says in two places when we're doing something good to not grow weary. It says it in Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. And do not let us grow weary while doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. It says don't grow weary. Don't, in other words, don't get so tired that you're so tired that you're so tired that you stop. Keep going. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 But as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Keep going. Don't get so tired you grow weary. I'm weary. Keep going. And the last point of application, number five. God's care for you illustrated by a mother. This comes from Isaiah chapter 49 verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet I will not forget you. It starts by saying, can a woman forget her nursing child? This is God speaking in Isaiah chapter 49. And he's, he's wanting to make a point about who he is as God. And he, he's wanted to make this point, and he wants it to have weight. And he wants it to have value in your life. And so he's, he's going to compare himself to something that, that gives value to the kind of God he is. And in this instance, he doesn't call himself a father, but he compares himself to a mother. And he says she has this nursing child. She's a mother. 
She has this care towards her offspring, towards her children. It is strong. It is unending. Notice it, it calls her the son of her womb. It, it's different than just saying she is his, her child. It says she is born of her womb. He doesn't use the father's love to dis display this point he's trying to make. He uses a mother's love. He wants to express something very powerful about himself, and he calls upon this mother of children. And then as he begins to describe her, he says there at one point, what if she forgets? As if that's possible. He's saying moms don't forget. But even if there were a mom that did forget, because some moms do act, act like ostriches, they're cruel and forgetful of their children. The Lord declares, even if there were a mom that could forget her children, he says, I will not forget you. We said a little earlier, what if your mom were an ostrich? As if you do not know how to be a mom or a father. Many of you can identify with that statement. What if your mom were an ostrich? Many of you can think, yeah. So then you could deduce from that, I don't know how to be what God wants me to be. I don't know how to love the way God wants me to love, but you're wrong. Because God has shown you everything that you were missing your mom was an ostrich. You've, you've experienced it in God. God took you to himself and made you his own. He made you his favorite. He made you his favored one. He, he did everything necessary to prove to you repeatedly over and over, you are the favorite of God. You say, but there are thousands of children of God. Yes, there are, but doesn't he always convince you you're the favorite? You, you could say moms should have no favorites among their children, but every one of your children should think they're your favorite. Because that's what God's done to us. He has made me believe I'm his favorite by sending Jesus to die for me. And literally, the word grace means I'm favored by him. I've experienced it. I've experienced his love, unending love. Children want to be loved. They want their mothers and fathers to love them. And if a child has grown up missing that, you say there's this great chasm, this great hole. But God can fill it. And he can fill you with love. And it's convincing you of how lovable you are by God. You are loved by God. But from this point in Isaiah 49, 15, he says, I will not forget you. Literally what he means is I will not, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I'll never leave you. He, it's the most repetitious statement God makes to us from Scripture. He says it over and over, redundantly, triple, in 
Triple time says it in many different places. I will never, never, never leave you. It's the one thing he says over and over to us. He wants us to know beyond a doubt he will not leave us. He will not forsake us. And I'll close with this. If you remember on the cross, there was a few things that Jesus said. But one of the final things that he says is, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? You remember this? When he became your sin and my sin, he was separated from the Father for the first time and, in a sense, forsaken by God. But why would he do that? Why was Jesus forsaken? He was forsaken so that he could bring us to himself and never be separate from us again. You could say it this way. He was forsaken, so I wouldn't have to be forsaken. He would take you in and never forsake you again. You would ever be with him from now, literally, through eternity. Oh, the grace of God. I do believe that we have some great, fantastic, godly mothers in this church.